All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, if all the political trends are to be believed, it looks like Republicans are going to have a very good day this upcoming election day in November, where it is almost certain that the Republicans will take back the House of Representatives. So what's going to happen as soon as that takes place? Will Democrats simply come out and go, you know what, gosh, I guess we just had fair and transparent elections and that's the game. Or, or, Will we hear that due to a number of things from Vladimir Putin and probably, probably most certainly because of gerrymandering, right? That will be the reason why Republicans won, according to Democrats. It will not be that Joe Biden was doing a horrible job or the economy was in the tank or he had screwed up Afghanistan or the Ukraine. or No, no, no. It will be gerrymandering. And you're already starting to see some of this narrative take place now in order to prep the objective. Well, today we're going to go to our, uh, our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines, who is actually going to explain what has been going on across the country. He's going to give a, a fair and honest analysis. Um, and Republicans don't get off scot-free, but we're going to be talking about all of that and more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Thank you for joining us. If you learned something new today on this episode of Making the Argument, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe on YouTube and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I can tell you that I am very excited for today's conversation. Gerrymandering and redistricting has been a conversation taking place within our team for many months now. And there are still questions that I have related to the topic, and I'm excited to ask those and learn more about the subject. Well, I'm glad somebody's interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, and actually had an opportunity to vote on what was the closest we could come up with a nonpartisan commission with respect to drawing the lines within the Commonwealth of Virginia. We'll discuss a little bit more of that. Um, not with me or any of us today is my beautiful wife, Queen of the Bees, Tina, because we're actually preparing to go on our anniversary, our wow. 23rd anniversary. And uh, so we're, we're going to get- Where are y'all going? Like, we're gonna go down to Florida. <laughs> nice. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, it's yeah. So we're, we're gonna go down. We're gonna go down to Florida. We got some friends down there and whatnot. So we're gonna we're gonna visit some friends, have a good time. Um, but yeah, because of that, um, Queen of the Bees is not here today. Okay. But we do have, and again, the guy who's pretty much right on the show today, um, biker gang member <laughs> and uh, political historian. Yeah, this Christian is um, this is gonna be funny because it's 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 almost like. This was tailor-made for me. Yeah, um, almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. We've had a couple episodes now that we're kind of like in the wheelhouse of certain people. So now we get to do mine. Yeah, we get to um, do yours. And, we, and then, of course, as always, we have our producer extraordinaire, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton. It's a pleasure to be here. As always, Nicholas, get into it. Okay, well, so again, as I said, this has been something where Christian is something of a subject matter expert. And I'm not just saying that because he likes to study it or he pulls up maps or he's constantly redrawing maps all over the country because he, he considers a really good time. That's right, ladies. If you were looking for a man... <laughs> Like a gerrymander. The nose had a gerrymander, right? Um, this guy's single. This guy's single. So keep your, uh, keep your calendars open. <laughs> But no, this, this, really, this really is interesting. There's been a lot of times where Christian and I have talked about this, and, and um, he's put in a lot of time and effort. And like I said, when it comes to predicting election outcomes, um, these are the sort of things that he takes into consideration. So if you're wondering, as we go into this election cycle, if you are wondering, how are you going to combat this narrative, which, which will inevitably come, it is already starting, as you were about to see, that the only reason why Republicans run is because they cheated. Right, which I was told we're not allowed to say things like that. But apparently it's okay when the Democrats do it. Christian is about to give you all of the arguments that you need to be able to understand what is actually going on, what's been done, what's being done, and how it's going to affect 
the election cycle for 2022 Christian. And for the next 10 years, actually. Yeah, 10 years. 10 years. Which kind of gets into, um, okay, so long story short, um, as most people know, every 10 years, there's a census that's done, right? So we just had one in 2020 that, you know, determined the population of all the states and cities and counties and, you know, everything in the country. Well, that census is used to then reappoint congressional seats to every single state in the country. There's 435 seats in the House of Representatives. We know there's 100 seats in the Senate because there's 50 states and there's two senators for every state. So in the House, every it doesn't matter what happens with the state population. There's always two senators per state. That's enshrined in the Constitution. But the House is based on population, right? So every 10 years when the census is done and we re-update those numbers to figure out who's living where – those seats get reallocated to different states. So some states will lose seats if they're losing population or they're just not growing that fast. Some states will pick up seats if they're growing really rapidly, as we've seen in like Texas. I mean, they Texas blew up over the last decade and the decade before that, actually. They picked up four seats in 2010 okay. and they just picked up two seats this year. Florida picked up one seat this year as well. So um, and then meanwhile, states like California lost a seat because there's we've talked about this before. Also on this podcast, there's a giant blue state exodus going out going on in California. So because California is losing um, population, they're going to lose a congressional seat. So basically, whenever the um, whenever the census is done every 10 years, those numbers are then sent to all the states. And then there's a formula that's used to calculate how many congressional districts each state gets. And then once that formula is done and each state is allocated their their number of seats, then it's the responsibility of that state. And it depends on each state, the process that they use. And we'll get into that as well today. But each state then gets to choose how they're going to redraw their lines. And they have to redraw their lines, even if they're keeping the same number of districts, because every single district has to have the same number of people and people shift around even within a state. So even if you're a state like, you know, Arkansas, that didn't really pick up any seats, didn't really grow or shrink faster than the rest of the country. They still have four seats, just like they did in the last uh, you know, cycle in 2010. They still have to redraw their lines to make sure that each district has the same number of people in it. So basically, that's what's going on. It's very technical, but it has a really massive impact for all of American politics for the next decade until you know, what will be the 2030 census. Um, so... What's happening now is, you know, the thing that that nerds, you know, just geek out over, election nerds oh, geek sure. out over. But the general public will see the impact of it when they actually go to their ballot box and vote in November in the midterms. Because some people, if they're living in what used to be a competitive district, they might have a different member of Congress now. Right. Or they might be in a brand new district. Or they might be in a district that doesn't even have an incumbent. Or they might be in a district that, you know, used to exist, you know, last year but got destroyed because their seat lost a congressional district. So – Everybody is going to be impacted in some way, you know, with respect to who their representative is or what district they live in or what it looks like. Um, The process of redistricting usually takes, you know, several months. The data was released to the states last year, and we're just now getting to the very end of it. Um, It's over 40 states have finished it. Um, Some states don't really have, you know, much work to do because they only have a couple of seats. But um, the only really big states that are outstanding now are um, uh, New York is the big one because the Supreme Court um, or sorry, the appellate court there just threw out the congressional map. And we'll talk about that today as well. Um, Kansas, Missouri and um, New Hampshire. Those are the only four states that are left to redistrict. And once those are done, every single state will have finished this process. So our our redistricting process here in Virginia is taking a matter of months uh, and I can remember that. Can you walk us through the process of start to beginning where Virginia has gone, uh, you know, from getting the census numbers to having maps in place? So Virginia was interesting. And I might actually lean on Nick to explain a little bit more of this because he actually voted for some of the legislation that governs the way that we're doing it. But to give you a brief, like, 30-second summary, Virginia over the past few years passed um, not an independent but more like a bipartisan redistricting commission – Rather than have just the legislature draw the maps like you have in some of these other states, um, instead they were going to say, we're going to set up this commission and it's supposed to be equal representation between Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. They're going to sit down and draw the maps. They're going to give it to the legislature. If the legislature doesn't like it, then it'll um, it'll go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will draw the maps. And that's basically the process that we went through because when the commission met, the Democrats basically were sitting there insisting that, well, we want seven seats in a state that only has 11 electoral votes. 
Um, and, you know, Republicans naturally were not interested in doing that because it, a seven to four map is absolutely biased towards Democrats. If you really want an equal map, you would have like five, five, and then one toss up seat, or maybe, maybe six, five, one way or the other, that'd be more equal. But, um, you know, there were some disputes over the way that that happened and it ended up going to the courts and the courts picked two people to draw the lines. And, um, you know, when they finished doing that, um, the map became official and, we still found ourselves in the seventh district, although the seventh district no longer goes to Richmond. It's now going well, up to Prince William. Well, the, the interesting part kind of in the history too, of what was going on in the Virginia general assembly is like, look, whenever somebody's in power, nobody wants to give up the power of drawing the lines. Right. And so let, let's just be intellectually honest about all of this. If Republicans are in power, they want to draw good lines for Republicans. If Democrats are in power, they want to draw good lines for Democrats. The real question is, is how much of these, these other kind of rules or standards do we use when we're drawing it? And, and you're going to see some of the congressional districts that have been drawn in other states. I mean, it's ridiculous. There is nothing to justify the way that they did it. There was clearly no other motivation other than we're trying to save a particular seat for our party. And both parties do it, right? Both parties do it. Yes. The idea in Virginia was, is that, okay, because you had a lot of people, we want an independent commission. Please hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this. There is no such thing, right? There is no such thing as an independent commission. But what about California? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> California, where, where they basically a bunch of academics got together from, you know, really liberal universities and whatnot. There is no such thing as an independent commission, right? There, there is always going to be some degree because either the independent commission was selected by politicians, right? Or there, were, there was some other mechanism where the process can be manipulated. And so the real question is, is what sort of rules govern your actions? Is it an open and transparent process? And is there some sort of appeal process when something is totally egregious, right? That's about as good as you can get. And, and in Virginia, I don't think ours worked perfectly. I think there's still issues. But what we essentially said is we're going to be open and transparent about this process. So Republicans are going to pick some people. Democrats are going to pick some people. Courts are going to have some oversight. It's going to be a, a process where we take into account things like communities of interest. We take into account things like ge geographical boundaries that make sense. We're going to take into account local political boundaries, right? So don't, don't split up local precincts or counties uh, or city lines or town lines when you don't need to. Yeah, don't, do our, thing, don't do things like that. Right. So th those are the sort of boundaries that we put in place. And again, the, the overall map that came out of Virginia, I'm not thrilled with it. I think there's some obvious things you can look at and say, okay, that's problematic, but you are not going to see in Virginia what you are seeing in some of these other States with respect to just horribly blatant. Yeah. And, and I, I was right about to, to bring up but the one of the things is, by the way, when the Republicans controlled the House of Delegates and the Senate. Oh, I, I know where the story's going. Democrats fought tooth and nail. They had a bunch of nonpartisan groups that were coming in talking about, we need this independent redistricting reform. And, you know, again, Republicans had said no. And then uh, there was election where Democrats won a bunch of seats, but Republicans were still in control. And the legislation went through. It was kind of one of those, the voters have spoken. Legislation went through. We said, okay, here's the legislation. Here's the part that we want. There was a compromise struck. And we voted on it and we voted on it with almost complete Democrat concurrence. But because we are changing the way the constitution works in Virginia, there has to be an election cycle in between. So it goes out to this referendum so that the legislature has got to vote on it once. Then there's an election cycle in between. They vote on it again. Then it goes out for a referendum for the people to vote on it. And here was the funny part is the same Democrats that have been telling us for years, we had to have this. It was absolutely necessary. You were a racist if you didn't vote for it. We voted for it. And then they had an election cycle and they won seats. Now, keep in mind, they won a majority in seats that they had been claiming were hopelessly gerrymandered to favor Republicans. There was no way. They, I mean, the Republicans just ripped them off and they won a majority in, in the seats as they were drawn. Then they came back. Actually, they redrew and, some of them. Yeah. And over half of the same Democrats that had over well over half of the same Democrats that yeah. had voted for the legislation the year before didn't want to vote for it that year yep. to send it back to the people of Virginia to be able to decide whether or not they wanted some of the same people. Yeah. Because, you know, there were some new people in because there was an election. Yeah. Right. But yep. like some of the same people that were like the leading figures oh, on yeah. the left yeah. advocating for this constitutional amendment when they weren't in power yeah. were the same ones trying to sabotage and kill when the they bill. Were, oh, they, they got up there on the floor numerous times. You are a racist if you vote for this. The year before you were a racist if you didn't vote for it, but now you're a racist if you do vote for it. Now, I want to say this. I think there were seven, possibly eight Democrats that basically said, look, 
I promised my constituents I would vote for this and I'm going to vote for it. They underwent a lot of pressure from their own party and they stuck to their guns. And look, that I'm not just saying that because you know, I, I might like the way it came out. That that was admirable because there was a there was a lot of pressure on yes, those people. Due credit like, is should be yeah, given to credit those should Democrats be given when, when it's for. due, and that was a hard vote for some of them to take. They took it anyways. So we had the redistricting commission. That's where we're at right now. So why would Republicans in Virginia be against the independent commission to start with? Because it's not There's independent. There's no such thing as independent okay. commission. That's why I described it as a bipartisan yes. commission. That's a better way to yeah. describe it. So to to give you an idea. California on paper has an independent commission, right. but they don't. If you actually look at the um, – so, so in California, they supposedly have this like commission that draws the maps, and it's not supposed to be the lawmakers, none yeah. of the politicians. But the Democrats figured out how to basically rig the selection process for who's on the commission because that's, that's what's important. We're talking about something that is so – like deep in the weeds of right. politics that the average general voting public rightfully so doesn't have a whole lot of time to comb through maps no. and read, you know, a hundred pages of white papers for court notes on this sort of stuff. So the only people that are like deeply interested in this topic um, are the same people that have a vested interest in mm. their party winning the okay. seats. And so like in California, what happened was is that the Democrats basically figured out a way to rig the selection process. So they had people on the commission that were ostensibly Republicans who had donated to Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. Wow. Um, by the way, one of those Republicans was from Berkeley. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. So so a Berkeley Republican that had donated to Elizabeth Warren, that's who's representing the Republicans on, on this, the commission. Yeah, on this independent Very commission. Republican, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, and, yeah, and no. so, like, and what's incredible is that, um, you know, political pundits and especially Democrats were like, this is democracy in action. This is the way it needs to be done. Of course, that's the way you think it needs to be done because you ended up producing a map in California. There's 52 congressional seats. You know how many Republican held districts that Donald Trump won that the commission drew on a map with 52 seats. They gave him eight districts out of 52 in the whole entire state. So in a, in a state that Donald Trump got 34% of the vote in, Republicans ended up getting something along along the lines of um, like 15 to 18% of the seats. Wow. So California's map, if you're looking at like percentage of the vote that your, your Republican presidential nominee got versus percentage of the congressional seats that your party was being given, the gap between those two things in California was over 20 points to the left. So California's supposed nonpartisan independent redistricting commission actually produced statistically one of the most egregious gerrymanders in the entire country. So that makes total sense why Republicans in elected Republicans would be against independent commission. Well, yeah, and it's not necessarily that it should just be Republicans. It's the idea of understand where we use certain words are commonly used within political spheres because they know it, it's attractive. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's a messaging tactic. It's not an accurate reflection of what is going on. Right. An accurate reflection of what is going on is to say, look, there's going to be bias in this. What we're trying to do is put rules in place that make sense to everybody so that that way, when that bias manifests itself in a very clear gerrymander, we can point to it and say, no, those lines are not contiguous. No, those lines are cutting a bunch of precincts that you shouldn't cut. No, those lines are breaking apart, you know, communities of interest. When you have that, then you can have this process where we know, we know we're not going to get anything perfect, but at least we have rules that we all understand. Sure. And so, I I mean, Nick Nick hit the the nail on the head there in terms of like people are going to want to gerrymander. It's about trying to restrict that with certain rules, saying that you know you can't cross geographic boundaries or you can't cross political boundaries. It has to be within the you know you've got your left and right boundary of what you can do. And you can't operate outside of okay. those two things. Now, as this process is going out, um, what you're seeing from a lot of these like prominent political figures that are looking at most of these states, because I, I said, you know, every single state other than four have already finished this process. Right. And so a lot of these political figures, mostly on Twitter, ironically enough, that have been following this process as long as I have um, are now coming out there with these talking points, trying to insinuate that, oh, Republicans just rigged the system and Democrats are getting oh. the short end of the stick. So I wanted to show this tweet from Dave Wasserman <laughs> to give you an idea of how into this topic he is. He literally named his Twitter handle at redistrict. 
Um, so this is a guy who um, writes for the Cook Political Report, um, well-respected political analysis. He has a very, very large following on Twitter um, among election nerds and and you know politicos and whatnot. He's got over a half million followers mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, and Dave Wasserman um, tweeted just a few days ago, um, shorter 2022 redistricting. It's permissible to brazenly gerrymander in some states, mostly red, but not in others, mostly blue. As long as that's true, you're not going to end up with a fair or equitable national house map. First off, who gets to define equitable? Um, I have a feeling that it's Democrats that get to define equitable. But more importantly, what he's referring to was a recent court ruling in New York that threw out what is, if any state can challenge New York for the title of most egregious gerrymander, or sorry, can challenge California for the title of most egregious gerrymander, it is New York State. So Wasserman was pulling up this list of of states that he was alleging were gerrymandered one way or another. And he was like, here's all the states that the Republicans gerrymandered in. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah. And then he claimed that Democrat gerrymanders were Illinois, um, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, and Rhode Island. And then he listed a whole bunch of states that have like court, co- you know, commission maps. He was trying to insinuate that these were neutral. And he said Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, because the court ruling there overturned the Democrat gerrymander, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Washington State, and Wisconsin. Now, the problem with his analysis, where he's basically trying to say Republicans have gerrymandered in more states than Democrats. So, the most obvious example of this that the left is pointing to to further their argument that GOP gerrymandering is going to take over the House and it's against our democracy, they're constantly pointing to two states. They're pointing to Texas and they're pointing to Florida. Yeah. Um, Sounds so, convenient. Yes, it does sound uh, relatively convenient if you think about it. So so what, what would be his incentive to, to make it appear that there are more Republican states gerrymandering than Democrats? Uh, because Democrats are going to lose. I mean, that's in my opinion. Sure. I think it's obvious, but it, other people disagree um, on the right. I think it's because the left knows that they're about to lose and they're trying to tee up an argument that they're yep. going to use for the next 10 years. Yeah. Now, the other argument that you can make, which is a very strong argument, is that this is going to be used to further the push for H.R. 1. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think that's an either or proposition. Define either. it. Let's tell everybody what HR one. Nick, is do you want to explain a little bit about I mean, what that a, was? HR one was essentially a, a complete federal takeover of election law on a number of levels to include requiring independent commission. Again, there's that word again, right? Independent sure. commissions across the country in order to draw congressional mm-hmm. lines, right? But it wasn't just that. I mean, this was a. I mean, it was it was. Didn't a total, they try to abolish voter ID in that too? They tried to abolish any voter ID laws. They also tried to come up with some sort of scheme where you could use tax dollars in order to provide uh, campaign contributions. Yeah. Um, I, like it was something crazy too. I want to say it was like in the millions of dollars that you could get. It was like publicly financed campaign elections. Mm-hmm. Um, which so is there was crazy. A, oh, it's absolutely it was like a nuts. complete federal takeover of all elections. It, in the it US. was, which, which has been. Horribly unconst- it's horribly unconstitutional. I, I don't think this could have passed the court. Now, again, you, you have four members of the Supreme Court that probably would have voted for it just because they would like the outcome, not because it was constitutional. Mm-hmm. And they probably would have used the Voting Rights Act in, in the 60s as justification for that. And you know what they would have also used? They would have used tweets from Dave Wasserman to justify it. Yeah. See, political experts from yeah, the Cook Political yeah. Report are even pointing out that gerrymandering is taking place in Florida and, so they're, and, and yeah. Texas. They're, they're going to use this to they're going to use this to argue that the election was stolen from them and it was stolen from them because of gerrymandering and because of voter ID laws. And this is why we need, you know, more access to the booth. And this is why we need HR one to take the money out of politics. And, and, and it's, well, again, sure that, they'll say that this will also protect representative democracy. Oh, well, everything yes. protects democracy so that speaking, they want, right? Speaking of that stuff, um, the, the next story that I, I mean, we'll come back to the Wasserman thing sure. because I'm going to break down some of the states that he's alleging are a Republican gerrymander versus some states that he was trying to insinuate weren't a gerrymander. But to give you an idea of the narrative that is already coming out there, not just from Wasserman, but from, you know, like national outlets. So 538 run by Nate Silver. He was super famous for calling the 2012 election almost spot on. He's uh, he's got his own 
you know, prediction outlet that he created called 538. 538 is the number of electoral votes in the Electoral College, by the sure. way. That's where he got the term from. Um, here's the story that he ran, um, the title of, of the, the narrative that he ran when Texas produced their congressional map. Texas may have the worst gerrymander in the country. So that is the um, headline that they do uh, when Republicans draw maps in Texas. And I'm, I'm going to break down exactly how gerrymandered the Texan map is, by the way, because it is. Sure. I will admit that it is a Republican gerrymander. Yeah. But the point is, is that it is not even holding a candle to what the Democrats have done in some of these other states. So to give you an idea of um, another one of the stories that 538 brought up, um, here's what they wrote about Florida's new map when this just came out a couple weeks ago. The extreme bias of Florida's new congressional map. Um, and then they, they started the story with talking about how Ron DeSantis is going to campaign for president one day about how he was able to own the libs by destroying Democrats in the state and, and ruthlessly gerrymandering in favor of Republicans. So, like, those are the sort of stories that, you know— outlets that are really big into politics, really big into this sort of topic that cater to an audience like myself talk about when they're discussing, you well, know, redistricting I, on the right. I, I think it's interesting you use the phrase cater to yourself here because when an article like this goes out on Facebook and you have a middle of the road individual who's not on the left or the right and very uh, not involved in politics, they see this and say, think to themselves, well, Ron DeSantis could be doing a horrible thing for, you know, Florida. Yeah. The, if you if you don't have the background information behind these headlines, it looks terrible. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. The headline is what drives the whole story. Like when you're running a, a story titled, you know, Texas might have the worst gerrymander in the country or the extreme bias of Florida's new it, congressional it make, map. It makes Republicans in, in Texas appear to do anything they can to retain power. Sinister, evil almost. Well, and, well can I say another thing with this? And I find this fascinating. Sure. Every time a Republican said anything about potential voter fraud, it was Republicans are radicalizing their base, and that's a threat to our democracy. But every time they try to suggest that the only reason you're losing elections is because evil Republicans have gerrymandered the entire congressional map, and that's why you're losing. Okay, both statements. That's not radicalizing. Both statements are theoretically completely undermining anyone's trust or faith in election outcomes. Why is one horrible radicalization of the base while the other is, oh, well, we're just bringing up a legitimate concern about something that's actually. Ha yeah, voter fraud happens. It might not happen on the level that some people think it does, but it happens. And it's a legitimate concern and something we should address. Gerrymandering happens. And it's a legitimate concern and something we should bring up. The difference is is that gerrymandering tends to help both parties at different levels depending on where you are in the country. Mm -hmm. And we have some object we we also have some objective standards whereby we can judge how bad a gerrymander is. Yes, I ran a formula to actually determine for some of these larger big states, Texas, Florida, Illinois. When you say formula, what, what, what kind of data are you putting into that? So I, I, I'll get into that in just sure, a sure. second. I wanted to um, illustrate, though, the difference between the narrative that the left is using to describe Absolutely. the congressional maps in Florida and Texas. Here's another one from North Carolina when the Republicans passed one. North Carolina Republicans passed a heavily skewed congressional map. How will the courts respond? Like, that's a, a given. <laughs> Like, like, oh, Republicans passed a map in North Carolina. We immediately need to go to the courts for it. Like that. It, it, so, so that's the sort of language that they're using to describe yep. when Republicans are drawing maps. And in all of these states, admittedly, I, as I've said, and as I will demonstrate, Republicans have been gerrymandering in these states. But when you actually break down the numbers, it is a fraction of what Democrats are doing in their states. So this sure. is what 538 said about New York's map. This is the congressional map that was just tossed out by the appellate court in New York. New York's gerrymander might change which party picks up seats in the midterms. <laughs> so on one hand, the extreme bias of Florida's congressional map, Texas might have the most extreme gerrymander the, in the entire country. And then on the other hand, New York's gerrymander might change which party picks up seats in the midterms. Of course it might change which Golly, party picks Willikers, up seats what in the midterms. So... Now I want to show actually some of these maps. And this is, is there going to get into the Is there formula. anyone like 538 on the Republican side? No. No. There is nobody. One day maybe I will do that. But <laughs> Yeah. We're looking but, for you to make that happen. Um, there needs to be reasonable cover because every single one of these people on the, that, that is covering elections, covering redistricting, 
covering national politics in general. It's it's an arm of the media, effectively. Sure. It's a specific arm of the media because it's talking about a specific topic, in this case, politics. You go on Twitter and the whole entire community is called election Twitter. I'm one of those people. I would say 80 to 85% of election Twitter are hardcore progressive Democrats. Mm. Um, and the media outlets that are catering to those people are probably 95 to maybe 98% so Democrats. So you're saying that some of the headlines that we're reading are skewed towards that demographic on Twitter. Not just Twitter, the, but but uh, yeah, Twitter the, is a, probably the best example that I can think of. The people who are interested in elections, because I look at these headlines and think that they're strategically written for that person middle of the road. They who, are, but the content within them is to reinforce uh, the pre-existing bias so of like, the people. It's that, achieving two things at the same time. Yes. Somebody shares an article on Facebook, they read the headline, they say, oh my goodness, these Republicans in Texas are terrible people. And then the hardcore people. politicos are looking at it and I being gotcha. like, see, I knew I was right. Yeah. Um, so, yep. I just wanted to show, like, this is actually what is being shared right now. And by the way, these articles are probably going to be teed up to then be reshared in November mm -hmm. when Republicans take back the House. People are going to go back and dig up articles from six or seven months ago and say, see, we called it. Texas was extreme I, gerrymandering. This is going to be the CIA told I you just, so articles. I find this posturing fascinating. It's honestly frustrating, but it's just so fascinating to me how— there are different forces within politics, within political media, that are thinking so far ahead to set up their arguments months in advance as to why they lost the election and they can blame it on the other party's gerrymandering. Yep. If you think this is interesting, let's take a look at actually what some of these maps look like. So this is going into the formula that we were just mm -hmm. briefly talking about yep. that I worked up. So this is a map of the Illinois congressional um, uh, <laughs> district, which is – This is my fave. This is arguably the most extreme—you want to talk about extreme gerrymanders. This is arguably the most extreme gerrymander in the entire country right now. So Illinois has 17 congressional districts. Um, they actually lost a seat, by the way, in the um, previous uh, previous uh, census that was done. So many people moved out of the so state. So many people moved out of the state. It's—I mean, you know, it is, it is what it is. I mean— New, they always say that Illinois' number one export is people. Um, but uh, my father's actually from Illinois, so he's yeah. proof of that. But um, And so, where does he live? Um, he lives in South Carolina okay. now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in um, in Illinois, they've got 17 districts. The Democrats drew a map. And, and by the way, the color coding here represents how much to the left or right it leans. So the darker the shade of red or blue, the more Republican okay. or Democrat it is. So you see Chicago up there with um, Lake Michigan. In the northeastern part of the state, you see all the snake lines moving yeah. out of Chicago. What that is is a clear example of Democrats taking the inner city of Chicago, which is like 90 percent, 80 percent Democrat, and dragging it out into the suburbs and rural areas in order to pick up more competitive ground or even Republican-leaning ground in order to maximize the number of Democrat districts. This is an act called – um, called cracking. Correct. So okay. if if you were to draw a fair map, you could probably squeeze one or two Republican held seats in to the Chicago suburbs. Here, but take, you have take zero. my mouse here, Christian. Okay. And... But you have zero in the Chicago suburbs, um, because Democrats have drawn all of these suburban districts into inner city Chicago okay. in order to maximize the number of Democrat held seats. And you have this one district here that goes from the south side of Chicago to like rural countryside Illinois in order to make this a Democrat seat, because this is all Republican territory here, but it's this part that's very, very blue in the northern part of the district. So, and and there's other examples of this. When you look at like this 13th district, which goes from the east side of St. Louis on the um, uh, Illinois side of the Missouri River, all the way up north to like Springfield and beyond. I mean, this is, they literally drew this connecting all these little tiny blue cities together with red countryside in between in order to make this a uh, Democrat held seat. So in the end, when you look at the partisan breakdown of Illinois, what happened was, is that Republicans are going to be given three seats in Illinois. They're going to be given the 12th, the 15th and the 16th. And that is it. Democrats have done everything they can to maximize their strength in this state. And to give you an idea of how extreme this gerrymander is. Donald Trump won about 40% of the vote in Illinois in 2020. He lost the state. He lost the state in a big way. Yeah. He lost the state by, by 17 points. There's no way that realistically a fair map would produce a majority Republican you know, congressional delegation from Illinois. But it would produce more than three seats in a state that has 17. <laughs> so to give you an idea of just how far to the left it is, the same party 
that got um they got 40% of the vote in Illinois is being given 17% of the state's congressional seats. So the gap between the number of um, votes that Trump got versus the percentage of seats that Republicans are being given, that gap is 22 points to the left, which means that Illinois is um, tied with, well, now it's actually the leader because it was previously tied with New York for the most extreme left-wing gerrymander in the entire country. And New York's map was just thrown out by the courts. And when Democrats go back to Texas and they say that, you know, Texas is an extreme Republican gerrymander, it's it's the most egregious gerrymander in the entire country. Texas has 38 congressional districts. Republicans control the whole thing. They did gerrymander. It has 38 congressional districts. When Republicans redrew the lines in Texas, they gave Democrats 13 seats that voted for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. It actually might've been 14 seats because there's one on the Rio Grande that's very, very close, like within a point. So it's either gonna be 13 or 14 seats in Texas that voted for Joe Biden. When you look at a proportion, that means that Democrats are being given about a third of the seats in Texas. So they're they're being given about 33 to 34% of the seats in Texas in a state that they got 46% of the vote in. So when you're looking at that, you say, oh, well, then it's pretty clear that you know, Democrats are getting the short end of the stick in Texas. But the gap between 46 and 34, you're talking about 12 points to the right. Mm -hmm. So Illinois is 22 points to the left. And Texas, the most extreme Republican gerrymander, according to 538, is 12 points to the right. It is not even remotely close. As I said, in California, you've got the same thing. Republicans are getting 15% of the um, seats in a state that they got over 34% well, of the vote in. That's California's 19 points to the left. So let, let's let's do this real quick because I, I can already tell. I, I already know. Somebody is watching this going, okay, dumbass, but you don't decide what all the lines look like just based off of the presidential outcomes. And totally that's true. fair, right? That's fair. But that actually doesn't help their argument. Because the the only way that you can get around this idea, this, one of the one of the mechanisms that is used is they look at previous elections, especially things like statewide elections. So governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor, president, they look at all of these because it gives a good indication of where the state as a whole generally leans. Okay. Okay. So that that is a fact. It's not the only factor, but it is a factor, and it's a relevant factor. Then they take into account the communities of interest, everything else, the dispersion of the votes around the state, in order to determine whether or not you can come up with congressional districts that accurately represent, you know, the the group that you have. And so go into that a little bit, just just explain. Yeah. That so this isn't the only factor that's being so used. So the to formula that I came up with only applies in certain circumstances, but it does apply in the states that really matter for redistricting. Texas, Ohio, Florida, you know, New York, Illinois. California, and Illinois. This is a formula you put together. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that looks at the presidential results versus how many proportionally speaking, sure. how many seats you're getting. It's, I just find it, it impressive that you put together a formula. To I mean, I also put together thing. a formula that, you know, predicted the Virginia gubernatorial election within a, wow. you know, 0.05% of the That's final impressive. Outcome. So I just, I geek out about this stuff, but I, I'm one of the few people on the right sure. that cares about this stuff that's, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that. Most of these people are on the left and it's just infuriating seeing these bogus arguments from people like, um, like Wasserman. I actually tweeted on her. I'm like, are you joking? Or are you like literally <laughs> living in a cave right now to genuinely argue that, you know, oh, well, you know, when a blue state gerrymanders, it gets thrown out by the courts. But when a red state gerrymanders, it gets upheld. First off, the red states can't gerrymander as effectively as the blue states, as I just demonstrated with Texas. Yeah. And more importantly, the blue states aren't being thrown out. It's just New York. They got thrown out. Illinois being upheld. California, they claimed they didn't even claim that was a blue gerrymander. Like they, people like Wasserman have the 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 audacity to go out there and try to claim that a state like California wasn't gerrymandering when we just explained that Democrats rigged the process and put a Berkeley Republican that voted for Elizabeth Warren on the commission to represent the Republican side. But the formula that I worked up with has its limits. It So like a good example of this is Massachusetts. Donald Trump got about a third of the vote in Massachusetts. So according to the formula, you would say, oh, well, then, you know, at least one seat in Massachusetts should be a Republican leaning seat. The only way that you could draw a Republican-leaning seat in Massachusetts is actually if you gerrymander, yeah. because Republicans are so thinly spread throughout the state, 
And in Massachusetts, it's not just Boston that's blue. It's the whole state. Democrats live in the rural places just like they do in the cities. And so Democratic strength is evenly distributed throughout the entire state, which means that even if you tried, it would be very difficult to draw a Republican seat in Massachusetts. But the difference here is that there's no Republicans that are going out there. Certainly, I'm not that is going out there saying Massachusetts must draw a Republican seat or else it's a Democrat gerrymander. I understand that you can't actually draw. There's limitations. There's limitations to it. Likewise, in Arkansas, the only way that you could draw a Democrat seat in Arkansas is if you actually gerrymandered and you drew the entire Mississippi River Delta in with with Little Rock and you drew like an L-shaped district in order to, to pack as many Democrats into one seat as possible. And if you didn't do that and you just drew four naturally held seats, you'd have three safe Republican seats and one lean Republican seat. And there's a good chance that Republicans would win 100 percent of the seats in Arkansas. Obviously, they didn't win 100 percent of the the presidential vote in Arkansas in the last election. They probably won Arkansas about two to one. So, like, there's limitations to this model because smaller states or states where the political geography is spread out across the whole entire state, it's very hard for you to draw seats that benefit the minority party. But in some of these other states like like Illinois, New York, California, you absolutely can do that. And Democrats are intentionally going out of their way to maximize their redistricting advantage. Mm -hmm. And until the New York map was struck down, they were on track to actually win seats in the House of Representatives in terms of partisan lean. And now that that court ruling in New York came in that took down this this four to 22 gerrymander. So – as I said before, the party that won um, 37, Donald Trump won 37% of the vote in New York in 2020. We've got the map up now. Yep. yep. And yet his party was only going to be given um, 15% of the seats, which again, until the court struck down New York, New York's map was tied with Illinois for the most egregious left-wing biased map of any of so these when, large states When, when I look country. at this map with New York, I look at this and it doesn't look co- terribly gerrymandered compared to Illinois. Talk to us about how this is a gerrymander taking so, place here. Um, you've got a lot of packing going on. Okay. Um, and packing is when you take voters that you know vote for one block and you put them all in one district. Take, take the mouse here and show us where that's taking place. So a good example of packing is what's going on with this seat right here, the 24th district that loops around. Uh, yeah. um, See how it loops the around the 25th yep. right there? Yeah, and it's like the whole Great Lakes. These are all hardcore Republican areas. And um, – and so what that does is is that if you were to draw these maps fairly, the 25th would still be a Democrat seat, but the 22nd wouldn't. The mm. 25th I know would be because you've got like Buffalo and Rochester around here, and those are like very, very blue areas. But the 22nd here in Syracuse, the surrounding areas here are competitive. What the Democrats did originally with this map was is that they took all these college towns like Ithaca and, and Syracuse, and they put them all together into one seat in order to make sure that this central New York district would be safe Democrat. Whereas if you were to say, draw the 22nd to be matching county lines, and you were to actually have it pick up some of these northern uh, parts of New York state that's on the Great Lakes, the 22nd would be a toss-up district that Republicans could win. In fact, Republicans have previously won the um, districts. I don't think the district numbers were the same, but the district lines were very similar to this area, and Republicans have won seats around here before. Democrats decided to pack as many Republicans into this seat as possible, same thing with this one, in order to maximize their gains here, here, and here. And you've got another example of this down in Long Island. So Long Island is very politically competitive once you get out of New York City. What Democrats did was is that they drew all of these blue parts of um, Nassau um, County in with um, the first district and the edges of the first district near like East Hampton and whatnot are very, very blue. But the rest of this county right here is very, very red. So you have blue, red, blue. That's kind of like the the trend when you get into Eastern mm-hmm. Long Island. And Democrats just skipped around the red parts in order to draw in two separate blue areas to um, to maximize the number of seats that they got, whereas they packed as many Republicans as they could into the second district. Sure. And then they cracked Republican voters in the other ones by spreading them out across blue districts. Question real quick. The number two district, it's obviously leans more Republican than the others. Most all of the other Republican districts are in the northern part of the state. Yeah, upstate New why, York. Why is the second district lean more Republican? So 
Long Island suburbs are politically divided. New York City is overwhelmingly Democrat, right? You know, it's sure. almost 70% Democrat. The Long Island suburbs, though, are more 50-50. Okay. So when you get into, like, Nassau and Suffolk County, which are out of New York City, but they're on Long Island, you keep going east, you've, you've now gone into suburban territory that's basically 50-50 between the two. Well, I think we've given everybody a good overview here, and I'd like to move us, move us into the making the argument section. Um. I know we briefly touched on this, but I want I want everybody that's listening to walk away with a concise answer. So I want to ask the question again. Why can Democrats and Republicans not come together and just draw fair lines? Oh, my. Okay. So this is a lot like the question I hear, um, and, and, and I get it. But I, sometimes I'll hear, why can't Republicans and Democrats just come together and do what's best for the people? Yeah. Because the people don't agree on what's best for the people. Like other than like these large kind of grandiose ideas of we want everyone to be happy, healthy, prosperous, and free, right? Okay, everyone wants that. Yeah. How do you get that? Well, my solution is we want less government control. We want more free markets. We want more individual liberty. We want greater property rights. My colleagues on the other side who got voted into office just as much as I did think it's more government programs, more subsidization, mm -hmm. higher taxes on certain people. Like, so we disagree on what actually produces the best results for people. The same thing ends up being true when we talk about lines, right? What, what you are asking people to do is to draw up districts in such a way as to, you know, allocate political power. And there's always going to be bias and incentive that goes into that that people can rationally justify within their own mind. And no matter who you get, whether you call it an independent commission or not, it's not. Sure. Everyone shows up to the argument with some sort of bias, some sort of deeply held belief that this particular outcome is going to be the best one for these particular reasons. All you can do is come up with certain objective criteria that make sense across the board, right? That's that objective criteria that we all yeah. agree with. You shouldn't spend a bunch of precincts. You should keep communities of interest together. You shouldn't have, you know, what weird you, lines. What do you mean you by communities have, of interest? Community, so rural communities, urban communities is one of the okay. most obvious kinds, right? So urban communities um, or suburban communities and rural communities are all dealing with different issues. Sure. And so they want those issues to be represented, whether it's at the state government or whether it's at the federal government. So, you know, inner city Richmond, it is not really concerned about, you know, agricultural law, yeah. right? They, on, on some level, like it affects them, right? But that's not, they're, they're more concerned a, about a what's going on A good example of a community of interest would be Portsmouth and Norfolk in yeah. Hampton Roads, like keeping them together in a congressional seat because they border each other. They're very similar. They're both cities. They're both on the water. They both have similar, similar economies. industries. Yeah. Okay. Similar industries that are going to be affected. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And they want that represented. So that, that's the sort of thing when we talk about communities of interest, that that's what we're talking about. Like the, the sort of legislation that's going to be carried or the votes that are going to be mm -hmm. taking are going to represent the concerns of a you know majority or significant majority of the people within that particular district. Right. So th that's all the stuff that we agree on. Sure. The real question then becomes is like, okay, make you know, create some sort of structure where these rules are in place, have people draw lines, understanding that there's going to be competing interests and bias involved, right? Then you you can also have something like where the, the courts can come in and say, No, these are the rules, and this particular line right here is a violation of these rules. So you you can come up with like multiple levels of you know separation of powers and oversight to where you can get to the fairest portion possible. And and that is something I think most people want, but it becomes really, really easy politically for one side, whoever it is, right, to manipulate this process by saying, well, all we want is an independent commission and they won't let us because they want power. Or, or they're racist. Or they're racist. Yeah, that's that's yeah. actually my next question is I, I think Republicans most, a lot of the time get charged with this, you know, decree of racism when we gerrymander or anything of that nature. Why is it that, that it's the left always accusing us of that in this situation? Well, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because the whole reason why we had to pass the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, oh, and by the way, the 13th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution, was because of Democrat policies. Right. Right. It, it was it was either slavery, it was Jim Crow laws in the in the um, you know the in the Democrat controlled South. Um, but now because uh, minorities, depending on the minority groups, it's 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 actually different and, and I wouldn't even say now, I'd say historically historically minorities. Right? But because but because especially black Americans were 
uh, disenfranchised in the law. They were legitimately disenfranchised. We had to pass laws which essentially said you can't disenfranchise them anymore. Well, originally it was get rid of slavery and let, um, at that time it was let black men vote, right? Mm -hmm. That's what happened in the, in the 1860s. Well, what ended up happening is because states control the processes, they came up with things like, you know, poll, poll taxes or, or poll literacy tax. tests. Yeah. So they would come up with ridiculous questions mm -hmm. so that when a, when a, uh, a black a citizen came in to vote, they'd ask him some weird question that had no correct answer. And then say, oh, you, you failed the poll test. You don't get to vote. You failed the literacy or you can't afford to vote because you're poor. Right. So they don't, that's where the, the civil rights act came in and the voting rights act came in and said, no, no, you, you can't do that. It, it's a violation of their civil liberties. Well, now another part of that was how you drew the lines, because another way that racist usually Democrats would draw the lines would be to say like, okay, fine. Then what we're going to do is we're going to split up the black vote among so many congressional districts because they largely live in urban areas that we're going to do that in such a way to where there's no such thing as a majority um, black district. And so essentially it was destroying that community of interest, especially in the South. You got that a lot in like cities yeah. um, like Atlanta at the like early 1900s, Richmond as well. When you had, some of these cities, um, when uh, black voters started moving into them, white Democrat politicians in like the 50s and 60s then started changing the election yeah. rules in order to make sure that like the city council would still be all white Democrats. Yeah. And and that's carried – and that was like in local elections. That's carried over into federal elections. But the, the argument that the left makes now of, oh, well, Republicans are being racist when they draw lines. No, Republicans are doing the exact same thing that Democrats are doing, which is they are trying to maximize the number of Republican seats. The problem is is that Republicans aren't doing it politically. I'm not saying morally. Mm -hmm. The yeah. problem politically is that Republicans aren't doing it as effectively as Democrats are. Okay. I, just, I just demonstrated how Texas, the Republican gerrymander, is less effective than the Democrat gerrymander in the supposedly neutral state of California. Right. And in Florida, the, the new boogeyman state that the Democrats are railing about, they're complaining about how the 5th district in Florida, which used to be from Jacksonville to Tallahassee, um, and it wasn't a VRA district, but Democrats like to argue that it was, even though it wasn't. It's a voting right. VRA um, is Voting Rights Act. And Democrats, when um, when Republicans split up Tallahassee and Jacksonville and had Tallahassee be in the second district, which is kind of the panhandle, and Jacksonville stay in the fourth and fifth, which is the um, Atlantic coast of northern uh, northeast Florida, Democrats pitched a fit and was like, this is racism. The problem is, is that you're talking about two areas that are split between the two of them by like 200 miles. And the only thing that's in common between the two of them is that Jacksonville votes Democrat and Tallahassee votes Democrat and everything in between votes Republican. And we're going to connect the two together and then say, whoa, that's a VRA district. And if you have any objections to it, you're a racist for yeah. breaking it up. Mm. This is at the same time that Republicans took the 14th district, which is Tampa, and they drew it in to the southern part of Pinellas County, which has a bunch of black voters in southern uh, St. Petersburg. And so now the 14th is actually a black opportunity district. It's still a Democrat district, and that's the only reason that Democrats don't care about it is because the 14th used to be yeah. a Democrat district. So it doesn't matter that there's now more black voters in the 14th, and black voters in the 14th can actually elect a representative of their choosing in this district. Democrats don't care about that because it was already a Democrat-held well, district. And, and this, this is also, and again, I, I think what Christian's getting to right here as well is that it's the motivation behind the gerrymander, right? There used to be a very legitimate motivation, or I'm sorry, it wasn't le a legitimate motivation. It was a legitimate concern that the motivation for gerrymanders taking place within the Democrat South was specifically designed to disenfranchise black voters. All right, what you're seeing in some of the gerrymanders now across the country is a fight between a partisanship. Times, yeah, it's partisanship. It, it's not because uh, it, it, it's it's. I I'm sorry. I just don't see the evidence for it. At least where I'm sitting, where Republicans are like, oh no no, we're targeting this particular demographic. Sure. No, what it is is both parties are are targeting voting groups, and it turns out that most high density urban areas like cities yeah. tend to vote more Democrat. And there, there's actually some there's actually some practical and philosophical reasons for that that are fascinating, but that's that's for a different time. Um, but but again, that this this idea that um. To, to blow up the whole entire racial gerrymandering yeah. argument, here's a really good example of this. So in Texas, South Texas, mm -hmm. Republicans made massive gains in 2020. Donald Trump went from getting having Republicans being 
absolutely blown out of the water in the Rio Grande Valley to actually winning some of the counties in South Texas that hadn't voted for a Republican in something like 100 years. Mm -hmm. And Hidalgo County ended up voting something like 40% for Trump, which is like before Republicans were like lucky to get like 30%. And so South Texas Hispanics like zoomed to the right. I mean, they went like literally like 30 to 40 points to the right from previous elections, which means that South Texas is now not quite 50-50, but it is pretty close. It's like 55-45 Democrat-Republican now down in South Texas, whereas it used to be like almost 70-30 Democrat-Republican. And so when Republicans redrew the congressional lines in South Texas, they actually didn't do... So like usually Democrats say that you're taking minority um, voters and you're spreading them out across a bunch of land in order to dilute their vote, and you're being racist by doing that. Well, Republicans kept Hispanic voters in South Texas in similar districts wow. because they think they're going to flip those districts. Yes. Right. And so like South South Texas Hispanics went from being a safe Democrat constituency to being a competitive swing bl- uh, voting block. And so when Republicans redrew the congressional lines, they kept some of these South Texas seats com- you know, together. And like some of these districts you're talking are like 60 plus percent Hispanic, majority Hispanic, absolute majority Hispanic. And Republicans didn't try to pack white voters in there to yeah. dilute the voting strength of the Hispanics. Republicans drew the maps. They, the way that they did, they just drew in the Hispanic Republican areas yeah. in order to, to, to try to flip these, sure. these districts. And so like there's two seats in South Texas now that could flip in November and elect Hispanic Republicans to Congress because they're zooming to the right. Yeah. That, so, I mean, that, that's the answer. I mean, again, if, if you're looking at this from a historical perspective and you're saying, oh my gosh, this used to be incredibly prevalent and advertised, right? It's, it's not like white Southern Democrats were hiding the fact that they were trying to disenfranchise the black vote. They were absolutely trying to do it. So like you, you, there's this, there's this plausibility to the overall argument that Democrats are making that when you, you know, when this gerrymandering takes place, Oh, it must be for this reason, but it's like, no, it's, it's not. You're posturing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're posturing. You're, 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 again, you're trying to make this about race when that's not, now that's not to say that you can't be mad about a gerrymander, right? You can be mad about a gerrymander. But they want to make it a, a racial component because they want it to not only be you know wrong from a uh, representation standpoint, they want it to be evil motivations and intentions. Whereas they would never do something like that, right? So and it's stronger to argue. So even even when they gerrymander, it's because they're trying to take care of for marginalized democracy. communities, right? They're trying to take care of vulnerable. So that's why again, it it, and it ends up adding in a moral component, which I I don't think is really at the root of what's going on with, sure. with the gerrymandering that you see. The last question I had was on packing and cracking, but I think we went over yeah. <laughs> uh, that pretty well in this episode. So, Christian, how would you feel about making the argument for us on this today? Oh, boy. Well, this will be interesting. Give us your okay. main talking points. If you walk away with anything from what we've discussed today, it's a couple things. Both parties gerrymandered. There's no question about it. You can look at Ohio. You can look at North Carolina, Florida, and Texas. Republicans gerrymander. You can look at California, Illinois, and New York, and other states like New Jersey, and you can say that Democrats gerrymander. Both parties do it. Gerrymandering is an inherent part of the political process. That doesn't mean that it's a good thing. I'm not defending the act of it from a moral standpoint. I'm simply pointing out that both parties do it. When you see news articles like 538s that try to say that Republicans are either being racist doing it or that Republicans are doing it more egregiously or or being more evil— and they're active gerrymandering than Democrats, there's some simple mathematical formulas that you can run in order to demonstrate that that is patently false. In Texas and in Florida, the two supposedly most extreme Republican gerrymanders in the entire country, they are less extreme than the Democrat gerrymanders in the supposedly neutral state of California. And that leads me to my second point. When Democrats try to say that the way that we solve gerrymandering is through independent, nonpartisan commissions, you should be asking them who gets to appoint who's on the commission because the members of the commission matters more than anything else. And if you say that we're going to have a nonpartisan commission, but it's only Democrats that get to select who's on the commission, there's going to be a problem. And if you allow the commission process to just say that I'm going to switch my party registration, even though I voted for Elizabeth Warren and I live in Berkeley, but I'm now going to identify as a Republican, 
There's another problem with that as well. At the end of the day, the people that are most invested in this process, this very deeply complex process of redistricting, are the exact same people that have every motivation in the world to gerrymander in favor of their side. So the solution to gerrymandering is not to pass a federal takeover of elections through H.R. 1, and it's not to pass fake, supposedly independent commissions that aren't actually independent. The solution to gerrymandering is to enshrine certain legal protections that create a left and right boundary of what you can do when you're drawing lines. You should be drawing lines that respect existing political boundaries. Keep cities together. Keep counties together where you can. Don't split precincts. You should be respecting geographic boundaries. You shouldn't be drawing districts that are overlapping across mountain chains or through giant rivers or lakes unless you absolutely need to. And the last thing that we should be doing when we're drawing district lines are we should be keeping communities together that share common interests, that either have similar um, jobs or, or, you know, are tied into the same industry or share a similar culture or history. If you have a Hispanic community in Chicago, you should be keeping that community together rather than drawing them in with, you know, white voters that live in the loop. If you have a black community in Atlanta, you should be drawing them in together rather than trying to draw in, you know, white Republican parts of Appalachia. If you have Asian voters and, Orange County, you should be drawing them in together rather than trying to split their voting power up amongst different groups. And it, But it's not just by race. It's also by culture. For example, Orange and Culpeper here where we live have had a shared history for so long that we should be keeping those counties together when we're drawing congressional lines. As long as you're keeping communities of interest that are either based on economics or shared history together and you're respecting geographic boundaries like uh, lakes, rivers, and counties, and you're not crossing county lines or cities unless you absolutely need to, you're probably going to end up coming up with a map that isn't going to please everybody, but is going to be much fairer than if you just draw lines like the ones that we've seen in Illinois or New York. That was great, Christian. Dang. Nick, I, no, I, that, was, that was solid. That was very solid. But, solid. Nick, I wonder who we could follow on Twitter if we wanted to get more information and stay up to date on the redistricting issue. Definitely Dave Wasserman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that guy right over there. I, I don't know. Maybe it's this guy right here. That guy right there. No, Christian I, 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 dead, dead serious. And Christian's, Christian's fought us on this for a while now on, I don't want to push all of my stuff out. Look, the bottom line is, is that when you, when you were looking at politics in general, and because, again, Christian said something in his explanation that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now. There was the one part I disagreed with. And he's like, you can run some simple mathematical <laughs> equations. I don't know about you. I'm not doing that. No, nope. I'm not doing that. But I know somebody who has, and it's this guy right here. So he he really do, he really has done some great work. The um, the analysis he runs, the models that he runs. So if you're looking to follow what's going on with redistricting, if you're looking to follow what's going on with um, election predictions and, and various races to watch. I'd highly recommend uh, Christian's Twitter. But give me your Twitter handle, Christian. At Christian Hines. It's not the way that you might think it's spelled, though. The last name is H-E-I-E-N-S. So just stack all them vowels I know, together. three vowels in a row. So it's Christian. We'll, it's we'll, at Christian H-E-I-E-N-S. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. We're going to put it in the show notes as well. And, and I, end up, I end up retweeting a lot of Christian stuff as well because, again— I don't got time to come up with the mathematical formulas. And if I did, <laughs> I wouldn't spend my time coming up with mathematical I mean, formulas. To be fair, though, that goes back to the heart of everything that we were just talking about. The average voter does not have the time no. to their credit. I'm not yeah. saying that, that they're wrong for yeah. not pouring over hours of doing this. People have better things to do with their lives than to care about this sort of stuff or, or pay attention to this. Well, they, they, they care. They care about the, they care about they the care results about it. of they it. Care right? about they care it, about but, the results of it. But again, it's not their specialty. And, and one of the most frustrating things, this is why, I mean, and everybody on the left whole, is just, focusing on it is, or everybody that's focusing on this on Twitter, with the exception of yeah. just a handful of people, are all on the left. The left, right? And this is the problem that we've had in places. This is the problem that anybody that is liberty-minded, conservative, you know, we we go into the culture, we look for analysis, we try to look for good, objective reporting on things, and we 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 constantly feel betrayed that like we're being manipulated. Yep. And we we want to find more people that we trust that is going to give us you know, accurate information and we know where it's coming from. Like we know Christian is coming from a, a Liberty conservative perspective and is brutally honest. Yeah. But is brutally honest with you. And like he said, like four different times a day, they gerrymandered in Florida. They gerrymandered in tech. He's not denying that. Right. He's not trying to give, um, you know, Republicans a pass 
but he's also trying to let's, let's be intellectually honest about what's going on. And one of the most important things he's doing is he's giving you the criteria by which he's judging these things, right? No. Because that's not what 538 is doing half the time. No, no, they're using a criteria. They're no, saying no. how many blue seats are we getting? Yeah, they're not using. I'm not saying they're not using a criteria. I'm saying they're not being honest about the criteria that they're using in their analysis. That's why one article is. This is the worst gerrymandering, most extreme. Yeah. And the other New York like, might change the partisan oh, this makeup. might change some stuff, right? <laughs> a couple seats might change. Golly, right? So, again, if you're looking for analysis that you can trust, I highly recommend you go on, follow his Twitter account, um, follow ours as well, because, again, we also link to it. But that'll give you some of the information you need to, to stay informed on an issue that you care about. But also being able to rely sure. on somebody else that's actually spending the time to do the analysis. Because, again, I'm not doing math problems on this. I'm sorry. Well, it's I can say that I've definitely come out of this conversation understanding a lot more about all of this. And I appreciate you answering my questions, Christian and Nick. Um, it's an important issue. It is. It's it, gonna, it, it, it only gonna, happens once a decade. I mean, Well, and it, it's, you know, it'd be frustrating for, for me to be, you know, get involved in a certain congressional district and then... You know the redistricting. They redraw the lines, and they and, redraw the lines. Yeah. I'm in a different congressional district. I mean that that's going to happen in a lot of states. Like you're, it's going to be really interesting to see how the November elections play out because sure. you're going to have places that have never elected a Republican before or haven't in decades that are probably going to do so in part because of redistricting, but also because the the national environment. And I'm sure that we'll probably talk more about that as we actually get closer to November. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Making the Argument, and we will see you next time. All right. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.